live and festive in the Publix Holiday Headquarters studio at WSB. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. Seven minutes past the hour at Absolutely News Talk WSB. We are here to help you be more successful in your landscape. This is the Lawn and Garden Show. I'm Walter Reeves. Our number is 404-872-0750. And we can indeed help you be more successful as well as making you happier, which success breeds. If you have something that is growing correctly, something that is um, fixable in your landscape or something fixable with the uh, houseplants in your home. If you have a question about anything going on in your home or in your landscape, 404-872-0750. One of the things that I did this past week was go visit my beloved mother in uh, Fayetteville. And one of the things that I did there was to take a picture of the green poinsettia that she says on her dining room table and has had there for two years now. Ashley, what do you think about that? That's incredible. I have two cats in my house. I would be amazed if I could keep a house plant alive for two weeks. Those cats would want to. T- what do they do? Do they chew on it? Do they tear it up? Do they dig in the dirt? What do they do? Any any plant I've ever had that's within reach, they eat the leaves and mm-hmm. then proceed to throw them up. Right. But I was kind of taken aback by the fact, you know, a few years ago, my mom discovered the variety of poinsettias that don't come from Mexico, I think, mm-hmm. are now non-toxic. But you used to think they were always yeah, toxic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if the ones in Mexico were that toxic to begin with, but it is true that poinsettias are not toxic. Although, the sap that comes out of the... If you've ever broken off a leaf or a stem, you'll see that it bleeds this sort of white, milky-looking stuff. The sap is uh, pretty irritating to a cat's tongue and to a cat's eyes and pets. So, if you have chewy kitties like, like Ashley had, the good idea is not to put the poinsettias down where they can get to it and chew on it, because that would probably not be good for them to ingest that sap. But... Generally speaking, they do not nearly deserve the reputation that poinsettias have had to uh, to be poisonous. They're they're not, and you can keep them for a long time if you give them just moderate light, as my mother did, moderate light by a window, but not any particular care for the past couple of years. Her caregiver says that it was red last year, that it changed color last year. I don't really remember, but. Um, this year, again, two years down the line, it is green, but perfectly green and healthy. Got nice, healthy-looking leaves on it. There you go, poinsettias. They have to have certain conditions in order to change color for those bracts, those modified leaves, to change color. And uh, evidently, that my mom's poinsettia did not get those conditions this year. And we did have a call, this being the Saturday before right, Christmas. Right. A caller asked, poinsettia? Or poinsettia, and oh. I told I told him I, there's not really a wrong way, is <laughs> it's there? It's not a wrong way. I, actually, I made either way poinsettia one day and poinsettia the next. It doesn't matter. That's one of the things about this radio show. You can pronounce your plants, and you could not even know what plant you have. We'll figure it out for you, and we'll pronounce it any darn way you want to. Camellia or camellia, pecan or pecan. Doesn't matter to me. We know what we're talking about. We'll talk about the poinsettias and the poinsettias. Either way. And Liriope or Liropi, Liripe, right? Liropi, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Monkey grass. I can pronounce monkey grass. That's really, really easy for me. Let's go to the phones. John is on, well, John's somewhere around Atlanta right now. Hey, John, good morning. Good morning. How are you this hey, morning? Hey, Johnny, I'm fine. What's going on? 
I live up in Suchus in the mountain region, and I have an area on the side of my hill mm-hmm. that I had to excavate yeah. because it was eroding real bad. Yeah. And what, what I'm needing to know is what can I plant there now that would help with the soil erosion? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. I, I have specialized for the past two or three weeks, uh, John, in answering people's questions with one word, no, yes, in your case, nothing. Um, if it was eroding before, it is going to continue to erode now, even though you may have made the slope not quite as steep as it was before. There is probably not a bit of topsoil on that slope. And unless you really, really go in there and amend areas to plant a shrub or something that maybe can hold the ground a little bit, Nothing's going to grow there now. Um, grasses might take hold, but grasses are going to have a hard time growing perennially there. And right now, in such as it's cold up there, John, in case you haven't been outside yeah, this morning, yeah, it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> and seeds don't germinate in cold weather. So planting grasses and seeds this time of year is not going to be successful. Planting shrubs could be successful if they have a nice brown, earthy, loose, organic soil to uh, grow in on the little pockets that you make in the side of the of the slope there, but the first big rain and such is, and all of it washes down to the street, including the shrub that you plant. So to be honest, John, your solution is mostly mechanical. You've got to figure out how you can make rows of uh, rocks around the uh, face of the slope to hold the soil back to keep erosion from happening. And farmers have done it up there in North Georgia for thousands, well, thousands, but hundreds anyway, of years. And you've yeah. seen the... Uh, I've, I've done that. I, yeah. I have it to where, I mean, it's almost flat there now. If you've got some flat, then we can talk. So, but... Plants cannot be, in general, plants cannot be relied upon to hold soil on a slope unless it's a very, very gentle slope. So if I were planting, and it would be shrubbery again, not grass right now. Let me think. Let me think up there and such is what I could plant if you wanted a couple of things up there. You know, Virginia sweet spire would be a plant that slowly suckers and moves uh, roots around. So there's a plant called Virginia sweet spire, Itea, some people call it, and it would grow really nice. It has pretty little white flowers. So if you go to a nursery and say, I want some Itea, they would uh, know what you're talking about. Um, do you have much access to woods that you own, John, that you could go out and look for plants and transplant them to your slope? Oh, yes. i got, I got lots of woods. Lots. All right. Lots wild, Think uh, about road. that. Go into the woods and do some eyeball observation and look for plants that seem to grow pretty well on sloping soil and have some ability to make a little thicket. Another plant called sweet shrub is one that grows, I'm sure, wild in the woods up there. And sweet shrub, again, is a suckering plant. It spreads. It goes around to different places. And sweet shrub on your slope might be a good choice, too. And you can dig it up right now and move it and plant it, and it'll be fine. All right. I will be out in the all woods all right. day looking for all right. But remember, if there's any kind of more than gradual part of that slope, anything that has any kind of steepness to it that's eroded, you've got to put something, stones or landscape timbers or something to hold the soil back. And wherever you plant any of these plants, a sweet shrub or anything else, it needs to be amended. You need to put some chicken manure or some uh, composted leaves or some lots of stuff to make the soil brown, not red, not red, not rocky and all that. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. John, it's great talking to you. Thanks for calling. Thank you.
Fifteen minutes past the hour. We got we got Pam in Snellville joining us on Lawn and Garden. Pam, hey, Hi. good morning. Hi, Walter. How are you? Hey, Pam. I'm fine. What's up? Um, I have a uh, I have a row of crepe myrtles in the back of my screen porch, mm-hmm. and uh, last early spring we had uh, Asian ambrosia beetles on one of those trunks, mm-hmm. and uh, we sprayed it with the uh, actually the yard spray, and what we did the dogs in with pyrethrin <laughs> in it, <All> right. and <laughs> it worked. They went away, okay. and uh, uh, you know the tree bloomed beautifully, had great leaves and everything. But this fall, we've got mushrooms growing on one of the trunks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these crepe myrtles are multi-trunked, and it just seems to be one trunk. Can we just cut that one trunk off and save the rest of the land? One-word answer, yes, you can. Oh, right. Yes, you can. And (laughs) is this area where the mushroom, is it above or below where the Asian ambrosia beetle toothpicks were? It's right at the same spot. Right at the same spot. Well, that sort of makes sense to me, because the damage that the Asian ambrosia beetle does to a crepe myrtle is they introduce fungus into their little boring holes where they Mm -hmm. theoretically are going to feed their babies once they hatch out. And uh, other fungi, bigger bigger mushroomed fungi can get into those holes and decompose the trunk in there where the borer has bored. And then when it gets happy, the mushroom comes out. And it all makes sense to me in my head here. So, but again, the bottom line answer is yes, get a saw out, cut it off, be done with it. It's not going to not gonna be any harm to the tree to do that, nor will okay. it uh, live any further than this point in its life. Okay, great. Well, can we do it now? It's dark. I don't know if I'd do it right now, but if you well, want to I go mean, outside, <laughs> if you want to go outside this afternoon, right here in the winter. I mean, I don't have to wait till February. No, 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 no. Winter time is fine. Winter time okay. is fine. All right, great. All well, right. thank you, Walter. I enjoy your show. Well, I love thank it. you, Pam. I do too. I do too. Thanks for calling. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> we'll see All you. Right. Bye bye. It is seven thirty-six on a Saturday morning. We'll be back right after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Bottom line, this is the last weekend before Christmas. If you are going to get out today and into the traffic, which you better plan for, you also better plan for chilliness and do a little layering today because you're going to have to layer up in the cold. In the low 50s, chilly this afternoon and evening. Overnight lows dropping into the low 30s, and your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And don't forget, for in-depth news coverage, Pick up your Sunday Atlanta Journal-Constitution for news and $250 in coupon savings. Sharon is in Marietta and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Sharon. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. I teach at a local high school, and my environmental science class is trying to do some stream bank restoration um, with a little creek that's on the property. And we, Mm -hmm. we put in some the the bio logs last year and tried to anchor in the soil by putting in red twig dogwoods and a willow whose name I can't remember, but was supposed to grow in low light conditions. And um, neither one of them survived. So we've got to replace it this year with some kind of a rootstock, but it's pretty dense. There's this great big beech tree that provides a beautiful shade Mm. and we have ferns growing wonderfully. Um, 
but, but we need something with a stronger root structure to try to hold the soil in place um, because the logs are biodegradable. And the idea yeah, is to yeah, yeah. use the roots of the plants to stabilize the, the bank. So I was wondering if you had any suggestions. How much of an area do you have to cover, Sharon? Oh, not very big. Um, it's maybe about 25 to 30 feet long and multiply that by two, let's say 60, because there are two logs yeah, and we're shoving okay. them in between. Well, actually, there's a stack of three logs. And how so wide is the planting area along the bank? Is it 60 it's feet in linear. length and then you have a foot or two or three of bank that you're planting to, or what are you... Are you playing on top um, well, of the bank? Well, there was bank on um, the right side where okay. we put in a couple of the willows, okay. um, and they didn't survive. To but, the, yeah. the gentleman that I talked to earlier about stabilizing his slope, uh, sweet shrub is not a bad choice. Sweet shrub grows in the woods. It's wild. It has suckering ability. And I don't know, in dense shade, it may not be the happiest plant in the whole world, but sweet shrub is a possibility there. Okay. Uh, the itea that I mentioned to him as well, I wouldn't argue with somebody putting a couple of itea in just to find out if they would do well in the shade, but another wild native plant that has some shade tolerance. Leucothwe okay. or dog hobble is I had that one. one down too. All right. <laughs> I'm thinking Le we're on the same line. Yeah. Okay. Yep, dog yep. hobbles, do you think would do well in low lights? Because every time I've seen it, it's gotten a little more sun. All you're doing is experimenting. <laughs> we have to see. Unless your children want to come out there with flashlights and hold them on the plants all day long and all night long to give them light, I don't think we have any other choices. Okay, those um, are the three then? And ferns, of course. And ferns, of course. And ferns, and you know, many of the ferns, the ferns that I'm digging up in my backyard now, the southern shield fern has a pretty extensive root system. It spreads. That's why I'm digging it up, because it spreads so rapidly in my backyard. So southern shield fern, it is not... Um, evergreen, but it is certainly deciduous and vigorous during the summer, and it can take sun, shade, um, uh, dry, wet. It's a tough fern and spread. So southern shield fern is another. What, what about a cinnamon fern? Do you think that might work? Possibly. Cinnamon fern, not quite as much spreading, though, on the roots. But the shield fern is better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Hey, thank you so much. Hey, Sharon, it's great talking to you. Tell congratulations to your kids for doing a good science, environmentally-based science project. I will. I'm thank you. I'm proud of them. Our number at Lawn and Garden, 404-872-0750. Any question, freely answered right here while you wait, 404-872-0750. But then that might break my heart So if you like pajamas, I like pajamas I'll wear pajamas, give up pajamas For we know we need each other So we better call the calling off off Live and festive in the public's Holiday Headquarters studio at WSB it's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 7.36 on a Saturday morning. Yes, indeedy, weedy. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I'm here to help and to help you be more successful. All you have to do is call us at 404 872 750 
In just a minute, we'll get the weekend prize pack out of the way, and we will award that to some lucky listener, so be tuned for that. But the question of the morning is, how do you know when the sweet potatoes are done? Now, you may say, oh, well, you just put them, you mash them up real good, you put them in a casserole dish with some brown sugar and marshmallows, you put them in the oven in 350 for about uh, 30, 40 minutes, and you got your, your regular sweet potato casserole. But I'm not talking about sweet potatoes that you cook in a stove. I'm talking about sweet potatoes that you pelletize and put them in a great big silo so that you can manufacture dog food. And a town in where I'm not sure exactly where it was, Florida or Iowa or someplace like that, it had a dog food manufacturing plant in which they use a number of sweet potato pellets to uh, add to the dog food mixture. And somebody at the bottom of the silo was doing something that was hot. They had a welding torch, they had a drill, they had a, installing a access port. I don't know what it was, but nonetheless, it was hot enough to ignite the sweet potato pellets that were at the bottom of the silo. And when the sweet potato pellets started burning, you can't put it out because you've got 20, 30, 40, 50 feet of sweet potato, potato pellets above there, and you can't get enough water in to make everything go out. And so they have simply allowed this silo of sweet potatoes to burn since Thanksgiving. Yes, indeed, Thanksgiving. And as of December 10th, it was still not out. And all they could do was to pour water on the sides of the silo so that the walls of the silo didn't collapse from the heat and spread gooey, caramelized sweet potato all over the plant and the town and the parking lot and every place else out there. So they simply are allowing it to burn. Finally, they said one day it's going to stop burning. All those sweet potatoes will be burned up inside. For the time being, they were complaining about how much water they were having to use. It was straining the town's water system and pumps and everything to put water onto the silo. So I will try to find out if the sweet potato fire has finally been extinguished there and if we can safely feed our dogs sweet potato pellets that are not scorched on the outside. Our number on Lawn and Garden. <laughs> our number on Lawn and Garden, 404-872-0750. But we have to do the weekend prize back. Thank you, Ashley, for looking at me with that questioning. Look, she is thinking of a number between two and seven. And that will determine who wins a family four-pack of tickets to an upcoming Atlanta Gladiators game at the Infinite, Infinite Energy Arena and a pair of tickets to the Sea Sticks. Are you kidding me? Sticks with special guests 38 Special and Don Felder, formerly of the Eagles. Get out of here on Sunday, May 15th at Verizon Wireless Amphitheater at Encore Park. We are happy this is on a Sunday and not on a Saturday because Scott Maxim would not be here. Or even a Friday, he might not be here either. So, Sticks, Don Felder, 38 Special, and the Atlantic Gladiators. Who wins, Asha Fasca? Would it totally blow your mind if I chose caller 8? Girl, you're, you're answering the phones in there, so you talk what you want. All right, eighth, let's do it. Eighth caller to 404-741-0750. 404-741-0750. Call carefully and accurately, and you get to see some fun people in concert and playing playing uh, hockey. We go to the phones now with Scott in Ackworth. Scott joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Scott, good morning. Good morning. What's up? Walter, how you doing? I'm all right. What's going on? Well, I have a uh, row of Leland Cypress trees, probably about 25 feet tall, and one of them uh, seems to be dying right in the middle of my row. Yeah. It's only on one side. It goes up maybe over halfway up. Yeah. But like I say, it's only on one side. 
was wondering how I could save that thing if I could. The blessing of my neighborhood is honestly, Scott, that I have so many neighbors with so many different plants, and so many of those plants have problems. And just yesterday, I was wandering past my neighbor who has a line of Leland Cypress, and one of them is at death's door, if not beyond, and the one beside it is getting real, real close. It's knocking on death's door. And I thought, what is wrong with Jones Leland's here? And so I walked up to it with my apple that I was eating in my hand, and there are three diseases that seem to happen pretty commonly on Leland Cypress, and they're distinguished by how the disease moves on the plant. Two are cankers. One canker moves from the tips inward, so you have little brown tips all over the plant, but the inside is pretty green. The other one is a canker that makes whole limbs die, and so you have whole limbs dying in the plant. And another is a fungal disease that goes sort of up and out. And if I'm not mistaken, that's what Joan has, Cercospora leaf spot that I believe is going from the bottom and the inside of the tree outward because the tips of the limbs initially were uh, green. Now the whole tree is brown. It's 20 feet tall. The one next door to it, I looked at it a little bit, and yeah, the inside is pretty brown, and the tips are green and turn so that yellowish color when they're sick. And I'm thinking, okay, that's what she has, I think, here, Cercospora leaf spot. Now, the bad news, Scott, for Joan as well as for you, is once they're involved, it is really, really difficult to get rid of it because if it is indeed this disease, and I'm not saying 100%, but could be, uh, once it's pretty involved, it's real hard to, to um, control it. Fungicides don't have a lot of effect on it. It's on the interior of the tree, and so it's difficult to get in there with anything to spray. Um, systemics might have some effect, but I don't know of any research particularly that says, yes, a systemic fungicide, one of the Bayer systemic fungicides, might work. I can simply say, Scott, you can watch it or you can do a little research. You can go to my website if you want to. Look up Leland Cypress disease, and it'll give you the page that has one, two, three all the diseases compared to each other, and some pictures as well. So it sounds like I'm going to have to cut that thing down. You know, it smells pretty good in a, in a fireplace. Leland Cypress has a lot of uh, nice aromatic things, and it smells pretty nice. If you just do the wood, do not ever, ever, ever put the foliage, the dry brown foliage in the limbs into your fireplace, or you will hear what a jet taking off sounds like. They burn like crazy. Don't do that. Okay, so the All right. trunk of the tree. Cut it down. I think that's what you're going to have to do. All right. Thank you. You bet, Scott. Thanks for calling. And, you know, I'm just going to hold this back from you, but I will mention that one of my other neighbors mentioned at one time when he was in a fraternity with all that implies that he and his fraternity brothers decided to burn the Christmas tree in the fireplace of their fraternity house by simply standing back on the, in the living room and sort of running towards the fireplace and running that Christmas tree right up the chimney of the fireplace while the fire was burning. <laughs> I'm not going to go any further with that. Let's go to Wayne in Watkinsville. Wayne, join us on Lawn and Garden, please. Hey, man, good morning. Good morning, Walter. What's going on? I have a gardenia. Actually, I got two gardenias in a corner of a little outbuilding that I have, and uh, they were all right. But there was a magnolia tree about ten feet away, yeah, maybe fifteen, and it grew and shaded it over so bad that got those it. gardenias are not getting in the sun. Got it. And I need to move them, and I'd like to know 
the best way to move them and when to move them. How tall did you say they were, Wayne? The gardenias are very small. They're, they just kind of stunted, I'd say, three foot. Three foot. You're easy, 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 easy. Now, between now and February, does that give you a long enough time to make up your mind and get outside? Okay. All right. Between now and February, okay. go outside. I don't think you even need to do much pruning back at all. Go around the plant about a foot and a half, maybe, from the trunk of each plant and make a big circle with your shovel. You know, jab the, jab the shovel deeply into the ground and go then sort of slant it. You know how to do this. You slant the shovel a little bit under the plant about a foot. You aim the, the shovel down about a foot underneath the trunk of the plant and pop it up out of the ground and move it to wherever you want to that's not in the shade. Uh, does that need any preparation in the ground that, that it's going to? They're going to be a lot happier if you do. If you do, uh, Wayne, want to prepare it, make them happy, get some, just go to a nursery and say, I need some soil conditioner. And usually it's ground up pine bark, ground up wood chips or something like that that you put into the ground. And typically what I will tell people is about a layer of inch, two inches, two inches would be fine. Two inches would be great. So in the area where you're going to plant a gardenia or a bunch of gardenias, put a layer of this soil conditioner stuff two inches thick on the ground, dig it in real nicely. The ground will look really, really soft. And the gardenias, when they wake up next spring and are, are, are ready to do some growth and some root growth, will look around and say, man, Wayne, you have done us well. This is fabulous soil to grow in. They'll grow. They'll be in the sun. They'll bloom. And you'll be proud of yourself. Uh, I, well, the year before last, I called you about a fig tree. Sir, yes, sir. And, and, was, uh, and I transplanted it. I followed your instructions. The fig tree did well where I put it. Now, last year, it didn't do anything as far as production of figs. This year, yeah. it had uh, a lot of figs, but they only got very small. They never did really many of them get ripened. And I'm wondering about fertilization or pruning anything in particular. I need to do that thing. You know, the symptoms you're describing are of a juvenile fig, and what that means is if you either prune it severely or if you fertilize heavily or... I guess those are the two main things right there that shock a fig back into its juvenile growth form where it's trying to grow real fast after pruning or grow real fast after fertilizing. So if you can leave it where it is at the size that it is right now, Wayne, you'll be a lot happier and the fig will be a lot happier just to leave it alone and let it grow and it was much more likely to have good figs and good crop on it this coming season. All right. Uh, right. Do I have time for one quick question more? Uh, you know, i got about a minute and a half, right. and if I go to my other callers, they'll take more than a minute and a half. So, Wayne, let's go for a minute and a half. Go for it. Okay. I have a blackberry vine and a plum bush that's mm -hmm. within 10 feet apart. Yeah. Uh, and I was wondering about fertilization on those things. Uh, they were given to me this past summer. Yeah. And I put them out, and the blackberry vine just shot over the trellis. <laughs> it stroked pretty good. And uh, but the plum bush has also what well, I was wondering about fertilization on those things. Rule of thumb, rule of thumb, always prune or fertilize. I mean, fertilize a plant when it's about to initiate vigorous growth, and wintertime is not the vigorous growth time of either plum or blackberry or fig. And so you fertilize if you are going to fertilize anything. Do it in March, late March maybe would be a good time, and you can put down. 101010, you can do one of the uh, fertilizers, branded fertilizers from a nursery. Any of those work fine, but before the plant does its vigorous growth, that's when you fertilize. Walter, thank you so much, and I enjoy your program. Wayne, it's my pleasure to be of service to you. Thanks for calling. Thank you. It's 748 on a Saturday morning. We'll be back after this.
This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Remember last Saturday it was 55 degrees right now? This Saturday, 30 Point five degrees outside, despite plenty of sunshine, not a whole lot of heat going with it. Low 50s during the afternoon, low 30s overnight. Some places are going to go below 30. It's going to be freezing in your neighborhood. Stay tuned. At last, most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Juanita is down in Noonan, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Uh, I planted some sweet potatoes. Yes, ma'am. It told me to be brief, so I am. Uh, <laughs> and then I broke my hip, so I can't get up there to dig. Now, I had a friend to dig, and they're about as big. She, she found one yeah. uh, about lemon size, a tangerine size. Mm-hmm. Now, do I let them stay under there or just dig up what, what I get out of it? I have two two things to think about. All One, right. if you leave them in the ground, you have much more chance of meadow mice, voles we call them, meadow okay. mice coming and eating on the tops, and mm-hmm. that would not be so good. Mm-hmm. So the answer to your first question, yes, dig them up. The answer to the second question, which you don't have yet, but I'll tell you the answer is, test them before you take them to the church uh, holiday picnic because sometimes sweet potatoes that are left in the ground too long will turn a little bit bitter. They'll have sort of a tang to them. And so it's possible they're not going to taste so good. So before you go and make the whole souffle, then be sure you've tested at least one or two of them to make sure they're not bitter or anything. But dig them up. Dig them up. you got to dig them up, Juanita. Juanita, I think Juanita was brief enough, and then she went away. That was the end. That was the end of Juanita's question right there. Back in the, oh, I guess it was the late fall, I had another question from someone who asked, "When do I harvest my potatoes?" And I pointed out that the best time to do it is as the um, leaves are just about to get frosted. In other words, when Kirk says it's about to have our first frost of the season, 32 degrees, 30 degrees tomorrow night, that's the time to harvest your sweet potatoes because it's the process of those leaves getting turning color or frosting and not having any more chlorophyll in them that causes the various bad tasting things to go into the potato fruit or potato tuber underneath the ground. So that's when you harvest them is before the leaves have frosted and now having been in the ground, that's why I advised Juanita to go ahead and dig them out of the ground before the voles have a chance to uh, to get to them. I myself, as you may remember, planted sweet potatoes back in Ooh, May, I'm guessing it was May or very early June, had tremendous vines all over the backyard, all over the beds where I planted them. Did I get a single sweet potato off those vines? No, I did not. For reasons still undetermined. No vole damage, plenty of vines, nice rich soil. It's possible that it was too rich and they simply you know, grew too fast, something like that. I don't know. Nonetheless, next hour, next hour, 404-872-0750. Back to more Lawn and Garden after news.